1: This is Dr. Boris Orlock of Happy Horror Coffee Break, old time horror radio show! <laughs> and you're listening to a fourth and production.
2: Hey Beyonders, you have found your way once again to the Beyond Terrestrial Podcast. I'm Dan, with me as always is my conspiracy buddy Lee, and Lee, today we are doing something new, so we are going to dispense with our intros and bring in our two special guests, David Flora from Blurry Photos. Say hi Dave.
1: Hey, what's going on?
2: And Dr. Chris Cogswell of the Mad Scientist Podcast. Chris? Hey, how you doing, guys? So we brought in a couple of ringers, Lee, because today we are going to pick up right where we left off and keep discussing Skinwalker Ranch. Lee, tell the listeners a little backstory uh, about how we came up with this idea for a friendly debate.
3: Well, this started, we were watching a, a movie called Hunt for the Skinwalker, or a documentary called Hunt for the Skinwalker. And in that documentary, Dan and I both went in, in semi-two different uh, two different ways on this, uh, whether or not it could be um, something interdimensional, um, as in somehow it, that space is a place where um, the dimensions inter- or different worlds intertwine and allow different things to pass back and forth between. Or on Dad's or Dan's dad, you're my dad now, Dan.
2: (laughs) Yeah, that's right. Because we're going to win this debate.
3: (laughs) And on Dan's side of the camp, more in line with government technology or government experimentation. Um, So we had to bring in a couple people that had some expertise in both areas. Uh, Mr. Dave, Dave is uh, in currently creating a movie, or in the process of trying to get funds to create a movie. Um, I'm going to let Dave explain that. Dave, tell us more about that movie that you're creating and how it kind of relates to uh, the Skinwalker Ranch and the Thin Place kind of theory.
1: Sure. Um, Well, thanks for having me on, you guys. And uh, right now I'm trying to get funding on Kickstarter for a project that Derek Hayes over at Monsters Among Us podcast and I are putting together called um, Shadows in the Desert, High Strangeness in the Borrego Triangle. And the uh, Borrego Triangle is something you probably haven't heard of uh, yet because Derek and I came up with it. (laughs) Um, So we're trying to get this uh, out there to the masses Uh, because this is an area, as you said, um, there are different hotspots, it seems like, uh, around the world. Uh, And if you think of something like the Bermuda Triangle, uh, the Bridgewater Triangle, Point Pleasant, Wisconsin places like that where it just seems like there's a high concentration of weird things going on, that's what uh, we have found in Southern California in Anza Borrego State Park, which is a huge state park and there is everything from UFO sightings uh, to cryptids, hairy hominids, dogmen, that that sort of stuff, uh, to ghost stories, uh, a lot from the Old West when the stage line ran through there, and uh, it's it's one of those places that there's enough things going on that Derek and I were like we've got to check this out see if there's a reason for this see what's going on if there's any commonalities so uh as you were saying earlier the this thin spot is if there is a uh quote unquote veil out there something that is maybe where the two dimensions are rubbing up against each other or you know, If you subscribe to uh, the physics stuff, maybe a multidimensional place where the bubbles are touching, something like that. And um, that's what we're going to look at. And yeah, that's what uh, I'll be happy to be discussing with Lee uh, tonight, I think.
2: That's awesome, David. Um, now, for my side, we have Chris Cogswell from the Mad Scientist podcast, and we'll be looking into some more human explanations. Chris, can you uh, introduce yourself and tell us a little about what you do?
4: Sure, yeah. So my name is uh, Dr. Chris Cogswell. So I got my PhD in chemical engineering. Uh, my show focuses on the history and philosophy of science and pseudoscience. And looking particularly at those times where um, those kind of transitional periods or those areas where, you know, the public believes something that maybe doesn't make a tremendous amount of sense scientifically. But um, maybe there's still some kind of questionable explanations out there. Maybe there's questions or there's just an interesting and kind of funny story. So um, that's kind of what our show really focuses on, you know, um, in terms of Skinwalker. So we did a large series on the owner of Skinwalker Ranch, or the former owner of Skinwalker Ranch, I should say, and um, his kind of long and storied, weird history um, in these UFO fields, Robert Bigelow and Bigelow Aerospace. Um, and so, you know, from my perspective or kind of from my side of things, I'm certainly on the, of the opinion that this is more something that is, you know, to me, the Skinwalker Ranch story and just the general story of, like, UFO studies in the modern day has been a story of a very long, very successful um, con, basically. Played on the public and played on the U.S. government in some cases. And Skinwalker is a great example of it being played on the U.S. government, which is seems crazy, but you believe something hard enough, I guess you could make it happen. I don't know, man. Magic or whatever, yeah. right-hand path magic. Who <laughs> the hell knows? Totally wild. Ridiculous. Totally wild.
2: Yeah, we, we talked about some of the contracts that uh, Mr. Bigelow has received to do research out there. You know, you're talking about millions of dollars in uh, public money, so you, pretty nuts. You, but Dan, you I'm, call him Mr. So Bigelow, confident. but I thought
3: we established last episode that um, it's quite possibly you should be calling him Uncle Bigelow.
2: God, I hope so. <laughs> um, <laughs> my, my wife, my wife's maiden name is Bigelow, so if he can oh throw any of those oh. dollars at me. Yeah, any of those dollars at me, <laughs> I'm all for it. Um, but, Lee, I'm so confident that our side is on solid ground. Uh, why don't you and David uh, kick it off? Okay.
3: So, David, um, I guess... I'm just gonna ask you a few questions I'm a little bit uh off put here just for here we go
1: okay
2: I'll, I'll follow your so, lead <laughs> okay <laughs> no pressure it's like a like a bad dance
3: I know it's like i've I've got a jeopardy <laughs> champion and a doctor against uh, me and david um <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
4: By the end of this, there'll be nothing left but the blood. That's
5: right. We're just going to come after each other. (laughs) Leave them alone.
3: (laughs) (laughs) So in these thin spots, do you feel that this is multiple different anomalies, or do you feel that maybe it's the same anomaly that could be being interpreted differently by the human brain?
1: Uh, Oh, That is a good question Um, because, well, I'll tell you what. I'll, I'll just go ahead and answer that instead of Wiffle Waffle. Um, <laughs> I would find it hard to believe that it's the same thing that different, that, that different people see differently. Uh, just because the range of what they say it is, is so huge. Uh, you've got, let's say, UFOs or lights or some kind of, you know, uh, unidentified uh, thing, um, a craft of some sort, let's say. And and again, lights on it, things like that, uh, compared to one of these, like you guys were talking about, a dogman type thing, clawing its way out, and like, I don't know how one person could see uh, the same thing as another person and come up with dogman versus uh, a UFO. Is that is that kind of what you're what you're asking for?
3: That's kind of what I was thinking as well, and that's that kind of plays in exactly my thought process of. The the range on what's being said here is so so off the wall. Um, some of it seems a little crazy. Like mm-hmm. for example, um, if you were saying that it was just government experimental crafts, where is the giant or where is the, you know, the dire wolf that um, is indestructible? How how does that play into the the government um, doing an experiment on people? Then again, mm. it could be just messing with their minds. So,
1: well, there's. I mean, yeah. There's there's always that aspect uh, to it, of course. I would think that's that's two very different uh, branches of uh, even even in the um, what do you call it? The experimental branches of, of let's say the military or DARPA um, it, to have animal testing and dire wolves being created, or maybe even like Jurassic Parked back into reality. Oh, that's so scary! (laughs) And having just military craft that's, you know, reverse-engineered or however they get it, who cares at this point, but, like, to have uh, a biological side and then to have a mechanical side to it, I'm not saying it's not possible, um, but they usually like to compartmentalize that stuff and focus, and if you've got all this stuff going on, I, to me, it strains credibility a little bit with that. Let's say it's from the same source, I should say.
3: Me as well. Me as well. So, so we've kind of established that there's multiple uh, thin places around the world. Uh, for example, we've established that uh, that uh, the Bermuda Triangle, the Borrego Triangle, um, the um, Point Pleasant, West Virginia, or or was it Wisconsin? West Virginia. West Virginia, just clarifying, sorry, Point Pleasant and other places like that. Um, I feel like there's got to be more, um, spaces that could be either like a thin place or a place where it's just a paranormal hotspot, Absolutely. um, places that have, haven't even been brought up yet.
1: Oh yeah. That it, plays it's, into it's, your, yeah, it's everywhere. Um, you, you think of, uh, uh, just off the top of your head, just to, to, you know, play devil's advocate for this, uh. Stonehenge is out there for it. Uh, go back to Lake Tepe is probably one that they would say. Although there's not a lot of uh, activity coming out of there. It's just a, a weird spot that kind of... It, it, a lot of roads lead lead to that area. Um, and then you've got uh, Tiwan, uh, Tiwanaku and down there by Lake Titicaca and things like that in South America. Uh, there, there are a ton of these places uh, in the world. So yeah, it's not just one or two here and there and Um, And we're getting lucky, you know, stumbling on this stuff. Or America's got a monopoly or something like that.
3: Well, we've got a monopoly on everything, don't we? No, that's, sorry, that's completely different. (laughs) Uh,
1: Number one. we're number one. <laughs> We're number one. USA. USA. U-S-A. <S-A. <S-A. Yes. USA. <S-A. laughs> Ridiculous. Yeah. 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 What a day. What a
2: we
5: gotta
4: day. have.
2: We gotta have something to cheer for now that the Olympics have been postponed. Yeah, exactly. There
5: we go. God. Oh.
3: So, how do you feel, like, you have some expertise now in the Borrego Triangle since you kind of invented it, right? Uh, Sure.
1: Yeah, I would say so. (laughs) Or at least
3: we're part of inventing it.
1: (laughs) I'm working on it, putting it it together, putting together that expertise.
3: (laughs) So, um, do you feel that there are similarities between the Borrego Triangle and Skinwalker Ranch, or... um, are there differences? Um, I know that you're exp- like you haven't done a lot of research on Skinwalker Ranch, but I know you've heard about it.
1: True. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Uh, that is true. I um, I think that Borrego down there is much bigger, uh, so it's a much more spread out area, and there are a lot. I would say there's there may be, uh, more. Uh, more of a variety of sightings there than at skinwalker and skinwalker's got a lot going on um from what i understand but it also is concentrated on a ranch there in utah right it's not how how big is it do you do you remember
3: i don't remember off the
2: top of my head dan was it something like 900 acres yeah and,
3: and then they're talking yeah. about the entire uintah um, uh, basin being uh a hot spot not just the ranch
2: so, yeah, see, but, right, but so, mostly for UFO sightings.
4: See, so, but I, I would argue actually. So, I would actually argue that Skinwalker Ranch or the Bermuda Triangle or any of these areas. And I don't know about the Borrego Triangle. We're gonna have to, uh, gonna have to fund the uh, <laughs> the GoFundMe way, here to find out. Hint, 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 hint. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, you know, a lot of these areas, it's not that they have more sightings; they just have better publicity, like. Skinwalker Ranch practically has its own hype man in George Knapp. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, they have their own like yeah. reporter who reports only crazy, weird things that happen on that stupid ranch. You know, he never, <laughs> he doesn't report. Oh, scientists sat with thumbs up butt for three weeks. You know what I mean? He doesn't report those periods <laughs> where nothing happens, right? <laughs> Um, and that's mostly, it's mostly nothing happening. (laughs) The same thing with like the Bermuda triangle. Even if you look at the actual number of reported missing planes and things that are in the Bermuda triangle, terrifyingly enough, it's just on par with the rest of the world's oceans. (laughs) Um, you know what I mean? Like stuff goes missing all the time. Those areas are huge and we don't know anything about the ocean practically. Mm -hmm. So, you know, at the end of like, we lost an airplane in a river outside of Philadelphia. We still haven't found that airplane. It just disappeared. (laughs) We
1: you lost know, a battleship uh, that way too, Chris.
4: Yeah, we lose stuff. All we lose stuff in the water all the damn time. The old USS you know I mean? Eldridge like, just
1: disappeared. That's a, like, <laughs> oh God. Uh, but but seriously though, like we're
4: um, you know we're not really all that good at looking at statistics on kind of the outside basis and understanding what comes from them or understanding how to how to look at them in a sensible kind of way. And so Skinwalker Ranch is like the perfect example of this. And a lot of those places that are um, thin places, quote unquote, are perfect that way, right? You know, I, one thing I would wonder is if we looked at the actual correlation, I bet that most of those thin places actually have a higher correlation with the number of healing crystal shops than they do with the number of
2: sightings. <laughs> Um, yeah. Well, uh, and uh, population is always a factor. Um, well, so actually, so if, if we we,
4: we looked at when when we were doing this kind of stuff, when we were seriously looking at this. We looked at the statistics in sightings and even in reported sightings of UFOs. The only correlation that fits at all is with U.S. population size. It's like a 98 mm-hmm. percent R squared value. Everything else is just complete garbage. Like, there's there appear to be no hotspots as far as we can tell. Um, But again, I would argue that there probably is a very high correlation to like number of women in shawls versus UFO sightings.
2: (laughs) You know. Well, well, Um, I think if we're lucky, the Borrego Triangle can have its own hype, man. Oh, David here, dude.
4: Well, so that's the that's the crazy thing, though, right? Is that in a lot of these cases, it's very. So let me let me say this too it's very, very rare that we end up coming upon one of these areas that does have a long history of its own for weird sightings like this and everything else, which the Borrego uh, Triangle appears to have. Um, and, you know, the without it having this kind of muddling in with a uh, paradocumentary TV series from the History Channel or whatever... Right. So the fact the fact that, like, it's Dave and Derek doing this, I think, is really exciting, actually, at least for me, because, you know, um, if you can't trust uh, if you can't trust a man with a mustache, who can you trust?
3: That's true. <laughs> it's well, a magnificent mustache.
4: mustache. And that explains that, too. <laughs> that <just> explains that. <laughs>
3: Okay, Dave. Back to uh, my my line of questioning for you. I've really only got about two more questions for you. So, in your like research, you know, your armchair research as we do here on our podcasts, mm-hmm. um, can you have you noticed a, a correlation um, between different phenomenon? Like, like we've been discussing about these paranormal hotspots. Does it seem like the different types of phenomenon happen, or at least are reported in the same? Vein. So, like, if, if if we're talking about uh, poltergeist, uh, like, for example, with the Bell Witch, there was poltergeist, there was minor cryptid activity, there was um, precognition, um, or with Skinwalker Ranch, you've got the UFOs, you've got the um, cryptids and all that stuff. Does that happen regularly? Like, we we, I, I think I'm just w- circling the drain here on the same question, aren't I? <laughs>
1: no, I, I get you. Well, I, I'll... I'll approach that in a couple of different angles for you. There's uh, one of the reasons I think that a, a place becomes a hotspot is when it has a variety of different phenomena going on. If, if you've got something that's just uh, UFOs, then you're probably going to have something like Marfa down in Texas, right? Like, that's, that's really well known. It's got a, a, a ton of UFOs or things that people say they see. Uh, at night in the sky but it really takes some wild stuff all together at once for uh, a place to really get that creepy good uh, thin veil location Um, and again we're talking about uh, Point Pleasant uh, is one of the one of the craziest ones because you've got Mothman you've got Men in Black you've got UFOs Um, and then uh, as we're trying to find out with the Borrego Triangle, you know, like I said, there's cryptids, UFOs, uh, paranormal activity, things like that. So, I think that part of that, uh, part of it, is that they um, coalesce with different, different phenomena, and that really kind of shoots it up the list on things you pay attention to. Um, and then the other, uh, the other angle for this, uh, a commonality, I guess, that has. Well, I don't know if I. <laughs> something I have been observing lately um, is what what would connect all these places. Is there anything uh, that causes a bunch of stuff to happen in one spot? And there's a there's a couple of things that have started to uh, creep up as being similar um, in different spots. One of them is. Um, The underground cave systems. And the folks uh, in the Hellier series touched on it just briefly. Uh, But they're talking about the cave system that's Mammoth Cave in in that area. And that actually runs up through New England. And it hits Point Pleasant. It hits the Bridgewater Triangle. There's a lot of weird stuff. Brown Mountain down in there. Things like that. Uh, Are there caves in Southern California? I don't know. I'm going to go check it out. Uh, I'm not sure about Utah either. I don't know if you guys have heard if there's any cave systems or anything up there around uh, Skinwalker Ranch. But this is one of the things that I have started trying to take notice of. Uh, are there cave systems that are, are connected with all these spots? So that's that's one thing. Another thing is um, quartz, uh, for some reason, keeps coming up in, in some of these. But again, Hellier touched on this uh, in, in the, their second season. Uh with Somerset being apparently sitting on top of a bunch of quartz uh Borrego is pretty rich in quartz activity down in there um quartz activity like the like the rocks are jumping around it's it sits on a bunch of <laughs> <laughs> a bunch of quartz veins and things um i i haven't i this is new uh to me just the the quartz aspect of it so it 's one of those things I want to start keeping the radar uh you know humming for it 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 should pop up more if it if there's something to it so i don't know if there's quartz around us and walk ranch or not i know uh chris and i actually just talked about the falcon lake incident and uh quartz was around that area uh of course that's just a couple of ufos and a dude that said he got uh, burned but didn't actually burn much anyway um
3: <laughs> or fell on a grill <laughs> or fell on a grill <laughs> <laughs> but um
1: uh quartz and and the underground tunnels i mean it all it all actually sounds like it comes down to what is under the ground what is what is part of the earth that that might be connecting these things so well, those are a couple- you
4: mentioned yo guys i don't i dave you know i love you right <laughs> <Sue>. <laughs> he's about to okay. shit on us <laughs> I just want to make sure i just want to make sure you know i love you i love all of you guys your shows are great Okay, I want you guys to guess what percentage of the Earth's crust is made up of quartz. forty-eight <laughs> percent. <Ooh. 48%. laughs> no, it's not that crazy.
2: <laughs> no, uh, that's feldspar. Oh, I don't know. Probably, probably something solid though. I would guess a uh, uh, at least a good ten, right? It varies from twelve to twenty percent.
4: <laughs> and the and the other component of the Earth's crust, feldspar, might as well just be quartz as well. It's the same. It's the same. It's aluminous silicate, right? So, that's to say, quartz is just sand that's been hit under pressure and temperature for a while, a long time, and most of the Earth's and crust, psionic, most, energy. Most, most, right, the psionic energy, right? Hence the cyanic energy, right? No, yeah. like we're not we're not talking yeah. at all about how psychically powerful these rocks are. I'm just, you know what I mean? Like, you know, that's it, like, um, you know, it's like whenever, uh, I don't know, you see those TV shows like, you know, ancient aliens or whatever, and they're like, ah, but, well, you know, look this. This ancient civilization that was building these things clearly had stone tools and, and metal chisels and things. But where did they get the metal chisels from? And it's like, well, I don't know, the ground? What are you talking about, dude? Like, what do you mean? Like, just the earth? Right, right. The earth around there? Yeah. I 12 don't know.
1: to 20% of the earth's crust is, is has uh, quartz. I would venture to say 12 to 20% uh, of the earth has these hot spots checkmate atheist <laughs> oh, 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 oh my god i just got i just got called a
4: stupid science by oh i can't believe it i can't believe it finally happened Oh, and by a friend too i'm so upset
3: yeah.
2: oh, boom my mic drop boom That's roasted it. That's so it. i
5: was gonna say
3: in in this documentary dave they do mention hearing the sound of machinery underneath their feet um when the uh, the gormans were um were there um, they said that they heard that very regularly especially if they started digging so maybe maybe there is tunnels under there that we either don't know about or haven't been told about
1: hmm. yeah you, you, you hear that you know you you that's that's big in a couple of different uh areas of what we like to talk about you know it's it's big in the conspiracies uh reptilians the who know Anunnaki is probably sitting up down there you know like who, who mm-hmm. knows? But, um, yeah, that's that's big, and that's even been blamed for, like, the Taos hum and these uh, auditory uh, things that people go through when there's... I mean, it, it, they tie it to sky trumpets sometimes with that, but it's, you know, mm-hmm. a lot of times it's a hum, and they're like, there's machinery, and, yeah, that that happens uh, a lot of places as well. But I, I don't know. Like, <laughs> I wouldn't put it past... Um, some something going going down and digging digging a bunch of underground crap uh even if it's a a, 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 what do you call it um an eccentric billionaire or something (laughs) digging digging up bunkers for himself
3: that's a possibility that's a possibility the other thing that i that you when you touched on that i was like oh yeah is it i lost it i'm sorry guys lost that one it's gone (laughs) I haven't been drinking, but that felt like I, I was just gone. Dan, I got one last question for Dave. I'm sorry. Dave, I, I, need, I need your help with this. Um, what do you think Jeff the Talking Mongoose might have to say about this phenomena?
1: Probably. <laughs> he's, he's probably sitting back, um, having a beer, uh, watching some birds, and uh, doesn't even care. Don't even care about it. if if things want to call <laughs> crawl out of portals, and uh go light up the night sky. Who's to say it's more mood lighting for me, birds? <laughs> that's Thank actually you so you know, much, that's, Dave. that's an impression for for uh, Dave, Dave Steckos. Jeff.
3: <laughs> oh, I apologize.
1: That's <laughs> <laughs> all right. I I am intimate enough with uh, Jeff the Talking Mongoose. I I know how he sounds. <laughs>
3: Okay, perfect, <laughs> perfect.
2: <laughs> Very cool. Very cool, guys. Well, I, I love the narrative of Thin Spots, uh, where these worlds blend together. It reminds me a lot of like his Dark Materials, the Dark Tower, um, just a bunch of other great stories. Um, but I have one question for David as we bridge <laughs> over to the uh, science-y part. What do you think it would take uh, for this idea, this story of Thin Spots... Um, to be accepted as like a scientific fact or at least something that the public would widely accept?
1: Well, that's, that is a very good question because um, as always, we don't know what we don't know. Um, probably some kind of uh, replicatable thing. If you can replicate uh, the phenomenon, um, I think obviously you, you kind of have to believe it at that point. So, if if we had some kind of equipment that would open up some kind of portal, yeah, that, that would do it. Um, if you could... I'm trying to think of... The, the, the problem with what we have nowadays is that it's very hard to trust video and photo evidence because technology has gotten very good at uh, faking that kind of stuff. Um, so, I... Yeah, it's it's hard to it's hard to really put a pin in what would actually uh, do it for you, and because at the same time, and this is you know getting into the crazy conspiracy funness of it, uh, how do we know it's not just implanted memories or something, or the the government or the the new world order is putting all this stuff in our brains, thinking that we see a wolf man uh, traipsing around, strutting uh out there uh and and then we have we it even go so far as to, to have psychosomatic wounds or something you know it, it, when do you stop so <laughs> it's hard right. to answer right what what would uh empirically prove that uh i think uh chris might have a better idea for what? that uh, than i would
2: actually yeah let's throw it over to you chris what do you think it would take to
4: prove that these things are happening,
2: like you will, what- yeah, well, yeah, to yeah, to prove that there's some kind of interdimensional thin spot that there's some way to travel to wherever these things come from. So
4: I mean, what, so the problem with a question like that to start with, right? I suppose, um, mm-hmm. besides the fact that I don't appreciate your accusatory tone. Um, is, is that, uh, oh, and I snorted too. This has been a great time. This has been a good, a good, uh, a good guest spot for me today. Jesus. Um, the, the, the issue with, um, a question like that is that it's sort of, it presupposes like a million other things, right? Mm. So, Mm -hmm. you know, yeah, we, you know, the, I guess the simple answer would be, well, we travel there, right? Or we'd be able to transmit information back and forth there or, um, you know, that's that is probably the simplest answer that would make sense, and is probably the way that we would try to do it in the first place. Is we would try to collect info from there, and we would try to transmit information to there somehow. Um, so, for instance, you know, you might try shooting a um, shooting a signal, and then seeing if it pings back in some way. And by a signal, I mean like it could it could literally be like a light, like a flashlight, you know. Um, and seeing if there's communication on the other side or seeing if you can get some information back from that. So, for instance, you know, you don't need something there to shine back or to answer back for there to be communication necessarily between two points um, or data transmission, I guess I should say. It could also be something like we send we send a, um, an X-ray beam there and then see if the x-rays that come bouncing back towards us are altered in some way. So this would be similar to the way that we kind of do, like, you know, we don't really use x-rays for this. We use, we use radio waves. But something similar to how we do basically all analysis, like chemical analysis and astrophysical analysis, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So that's probably the first way we do it. Chris, but the
1: Yeah. I, I have a question on that, actually. Uh, is there anything, is there any test you can do that would um do the same thing as you're saying send something quote unquote there and then send it back and would it be would we be able to measure the distance that it's traveled or something like that
4: yeah absolutely so we could yeah i mean we could take we could measure the time it takes for it to uh come back we could measure the energy that it lost in its travel i mm-hmm. mean it would be a very small amount but that's something we could do we could measure um Yeah, there there are things we could do for that, right? The the problem would be if we're talking about something like this where we really don't you know, I think people have this like people have this idea that something like this would be you know, your um like the, the analogy often given is of, you know, you have a piece of paper that represents kind of space time and you draw a straight line from point A to point B. And maybe that line is 10,000 light years away, right? It's 10,000 light years long. But if you folded the paper, and this is a hell of a piece of paper, by the way. Um, and if you, folded, <laughs> if you folded the piece of paper so that the two points connected, though, in a third dimension, if you weren't traveling along the length of the paper, but instead through the paper body, it wouldn't take 10,000 light years. Maybe that distance is a, you know, one light year, or not even a light year. Maybe it's a couple of feet right so that's the kind of argument that people make in this case and so that's where things would start to get a little messy is could we even to start with understand something like that happening to us you know do we even have the physics and the measuring yeah I hesitate to say machinery but yeah like do we even have the right paradigms in place for measuring things Mm. to have any sense of that you know um the third, you know, the and I always feel like I sound like a, a Tim and Eric character when I'm talking about dimensions and things. Like I, you know, it's but, free um, real estate. It's free real estate. You know, space is like a cone, but you wouldn't want to put it in a cone. Don't put space in, a cone. or whatever it is. Right. Um, I feel like I should have a black hoodie on and a lot of makeup. Um, the The challenge, I guess, is that when we think of like dimensions and dimensions touching and whatever, we often think about it like it would be, you know, oh, you step through a portal, and you end up in another place that's like separate but still connected somehow. But physics works the same, geometry works the same, everything else. When in reality, it would be like um, your like your brain is your brain is set up to understand three dimensions. If you were plucked out of the third dimension into like a fourth dimension or a fifth dimension or something, you'd it'd probably be like a complete horror show. Mm. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I don't. It'd be it'd be I hesitate to say it would be horrifying because we don't know, but it certainly wouldn't be something you'd be able to understand.
2: Yeah. I mean, right, or something something you couldn't perceive at all, maybe just black.
4: Right, exactly. Right, your yeah. brain your brain might just shut down and be like, I don't know what's going on with this sensory information, so we're just going to show mm-hmm. you flashes of color or right. you know, weird right. smells or whatever. Like we we just don't have the descriptive power even to consider it. You know, there's a really good book about this called Flatland. Oh, yeah. which talks about a a two-dimensional person who's pulled out of the page into the third dimension and like suddenly things that never should make sense in their world are, you know, they're able to do right. Like if you draw a box around a person on a piece of paper, there's no way for them to get outside of that box. Right. But if you pull Mm -hmm. them out of the, out into the plane of the paper, into the third dimension and then put them back onto that paper, suddenly they're outside of the box and they have no explanation for it. Right. They just (laughs) kind of snapped into and out Mm -hmm. of reality. Um, Right. That's probably closer to at least what we would conceptualize it as, but but honestly, who the hell knows?
2: Right. Well, and that's uh, one of the reasons I asked the question is because uh, to a physicist, uh, the idea of, you know, extra dimensions and a lot of these things that people go through, it just it just doesn't really matter that much because how can you describe it? Um, We're interested in describing this physical world that we can see and measure and observe. So, you know, it just doesn't make a lot of sense. Yeah. So let's move. Yeah. Let's move on to something that is uh, probably the most well-documented phenomenon of the Uinta basin, uh, the UFO sightings, which include physical craft and lights in the sky, Um, Can you tell us a little bit about the difficulties that people have when they try and identify these kinds of things?
4: Well, so the first problem, I guess, is if you look at any of the public facing um, UFO reporting sites, you know, and there's not I mean, there's not it's not like these places like MUFON give you access to all the data that they have. But like if you go on a UFO tracker, um, you can look at all the cases that come into MUFON as they come in. And the first thing you'll notice is that, like, 99% of those cases are are either completely identifiable or give you so little information that you cannot do anything with them. You know what I mean? Like, somebody will write in and say, I saw a light, and here's a picture of the light. And that's it and it's like cool that's right. that's enough info for me to make, me to make a paradigm shifting <laughs> announcement on you know thank you for your contributions um sir or madam um on the other hand there are some cases where it is a trained observer or somebody who is of you know sound mind and sound body and capable of kind of reporting on what they see in these cases and and really understanding it um, that it makes it a little bit harder to kind of you know pull apart and say well, that doesn't really make a lot of sense now the problem though is that I don't know if people would necessarily consider um, the same people to be grounded observers that's problem one you know mm-hmm. um, I don't know if you've ever tried to kind of test your own memory I guess but even you know myself you know I would um, I would argue that I'm you know probably not a good observer, frankly, for an event like that, because I tend to uh, misremember things sometimes. I tend to, I have a very vivid imagination, so I tend to, um, over time, my memories kind of can shift and change, and you notice those things um, when you really start looking at your own kind of cognitive, um, what's the word, I guess, like your own cognitive um, sensory apparatuses and your own kind of way of thinking about things, you know what I mean? So, um, you know, it's really easy, though, and and not, you know, most people don't realize that they do this, but your brain is constantly filling in gaps and making things up and, you know, kind of like glossing over things to make things simpler. You know, Um, I have a friend who does this with his family all the time, actually, which is, I think, terrifying because I would be terrified that someone (laughs) would catch me in a lie like this, but they do it all the time and it's kind of funny. They'll just... They'll just agree to anything that their family presupposes about their life. So they'll be like, oh, did you have a good time at the store? And they'll be like, yeah, I had a great time. And they didn't go to the store that week. You know what I mean? But it's just easier than trying to explain, like, well, no, I didn't go to the store. Why do you think I went to the store? Or, like, it just it just smooths over conversation, I guess. Um, and it's not great for, like, a reality-based view of the world, but I guess it works for them in talking to their, you know, I don't know, adults
3: relatives. <laughs> I have no idea. Or it plays into their delusions, like... <laughs> Well,
4: yeah, I don't know. Right. Like, I don't I don't listen. I'm not here to judge. All I'm saying, all I'm saying is that uh, on on one hand, you have kind of a you have reality and then you have the way that you perceive reality. And they're not they're not the same. They're never the same. They can't be the same. Um, And philosophers have kind of fought over this fact forever. With some, like Descartes just kind of throwing up his hands and saying, you know, well, I can't know anything. All I know is that my brain exists someplace and I'm thinking someplace. And then other philosophers thinking um, or I guess saying, you know, well, that's crap. You, of course, can know things about the world. Um, And some of them, you know, dying, um, loveless weirdos like Immanuel Kant. So, okay. Right. either way you get extremes.
3: Okay. All right. Um hey, I am I think we're going to take a quick break and then we're going to come back and Dan's got a few more questions for you, Chris. Bear with us for just a moment. <laughs>
4: Are you easily offended? Because if you are, you should probably stop listening. Are you interested in the bizarre and unusual? Are you fascinated by the
2: grisly sides of life? Are you the one that people call weirdo?
3: Well then, you should get hip to Strange Brew Podcast, a podcast with a bunch of crazy connects.
4: Tune in every week with Strange Brew's host, Tomcat, aka Tom Thompson. And Billy Kirby,
2: along with many different guests.
4: As we drink booze and we discuss anything strange and paranormal, from serial killers to aliens and all of the above.
2: So crack those beers.
4: And toss on those tinfoil hats. Because Because it's it's about about to get Strange.
2: Hello Beyonders, this is Dan dropping in like an interdimensional Bigfoot to tell you all about our comment contest. That's right, if you've been listening to our Hunt for the Skinwalker series, you know that Lee and I have two very different ideas about what could be happening at Skinwalker Ranch. Please go vote in our Facebook poll and leave a comment, and one lucky Beyonder will win a fourth-hand media swag bag. T-shirts, stickers, coffee cups, we got it all. And bonus points, if you post a screenshot of your review of Beyond Terrestrial, You will be given an extra entry for every star you give us in a rating. Thank you guys for listening, and we'll be back with more Beyond Terrestrial. Welcome back,
3: Beyonders.
2: All right, Chris. So we've already talked about um, how hard it is to identify a UFO, especially if it's just like a light in the sky. Um, Now, some of these observers describe very erratic motion. They see a light and then pow, it shoots off. Um, What could explain some of the motion that they see? Um, Is this unmanned craft? Is it some kind of optical illusion? Uh, or some kind of observer bias.
4: So it could... The the problem with trying to make these kind of blanket statements for any of these things is that it it could be any of those, it could be none of those. It Mm. really all depends on this being kind of a singular... Like, I would argue that the kind of... I would argue that both the skeptical case and the believer case for UFOs has kind of moved away from the individual cases paradigm. So what I mean is, it's really easy to point out that individual cases don't make a lot of sense, or that there's something weird about, you know, oh, well, this person might have just been hallucinating, or they might have just been mistaken, or whatever. But it's really hard to make that same claim when there are a thousand cases with the same, in the same location, with the same reported, um, you know, uh, features, I guess, and Mm -hmm. the same kind of, you know, the same sort of uh, feel to them, the same kind of tropes and things, right? Mm -hmm. Now, you can still make an argument against that, obviously. You can say, well, that's cultural memory, or that is um, something like, you know, um, it's just, it's tropes, right? I mean, why do people use Mm -hmm. cliches? Um, Why do people... You know, they have those memes that come out that are like, you know, oh, how many other people do this? And then it's like, oh, my God, I do that. And then you like it, right? Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> that works because um, that works because people are, we're, we're, we are machines that operate in very kind of simple ways in some cases, just for, uh-huh. despite all of our kind of complexities and amazing features and everything else. So that being said, um, you know, one example of this or one interesting example of this that people don't really realize is sort of the effect that distance has and what i mean by that is how far away you are from the initial object being viewed so i don't know if you've ever seen those optical illusions where it's like there was one actually i saw yesterday on on reddit um because i am a you know i cuz i spend my time well during the day <laughs> um, but it was it was a um it was a garbage pail, and then underneath the garbage pail was a, um, was a thing of, like, water. It was a wet spot, so it was darker on the concrete that the pail was sitting on. But when you first looked at it, it looked like the pail was floating. And the reason that was happening was that your brain was kind of filling in a gap, and figuring that this must be the shadow of this object. And so since I've seen a million other times when something floats, that's the way that the pattern looks. That's what your brain assumed was happening, but that's not really what was happening. That kind of thing, again, happens all the time. So, you know, one of my favorite cases is the Betty and Barney Hill UFO case. That's, like, one of my favorites. It was the scariest to me growing up. Um, I lived in that area for a long time, so it was terrifying to me. Um uh-huh. As an adult, that's when I lived there. Not when I was a kid. When I was old enough to have known better, probably. <laughs> but, um, like, driving through... Anyone that's driven through mountains at night and then suddenly sees the moon come up over the mountain will notice that, at times, the moon appears to be a lot bigger than it actually is. Or a lot smaller than it actually is. Um, and that's all just due to the distance of you and something in the middle between you and the moon. Okay. So... You misjudge distance uh, for something as ginormous and every day is the moon all of the time. So in cases like this where you're seeing something that you're probably scared about or excited about or whatever, um, and you're not sure what you're seeing and then it, it seems to be moving weirdly and whatever, you know, if you can get the moon wrong, what else can you get wrong?
2: Right. And especially because you have no real frame of reference because it's up in the sky.
4: Right. Most of the time, these videos, especially in the Utah Basin, let's say, a lot of the times those are um, a lot of the times th- these are, you know, they're just it's, it's a dot of light against a black sky or a blue sky. And so, again, yeah, how can you judge the distance there accurately? You can't. Um, right. That being said, though, that being said, though, you know, there is something, I think, to be said for the idea that these people have lived there for long enough, it's not like, you know, me, I grew up in, I grew up in New York city. So the first time I was like, you know, 200 miles away from New York and I first saw like the nighttime sky, like what actual stars looked like. Um, you know, it was like, Holy crap. I can't believe that, you know, I can't believe light pollution is that bad. Um, Oh yeah. These are people, these are people that are used to the night sky and in some cases they're used to seeing aircraft and used to seeing things up there. So you know, I don't know. It's it's hard to gauge, but I do think that, you know, when it comes to individual cases, it's too easy to pick them apart. It's just it's it's not hard at all.
2: Right. Well, um, and that kind of leads a little bit to my next question. Uh, we know the military has uh, looked at, like, uh, counter illumination and all kinds of different ways to obscure what an observer might see. Um, lots of research today in active camouflage which, um, I don't know, kind of works if you're sitting in a room with a projector. Um, but there's OLED technology now, uh, curvable screens, all kinds of things like that. Um, can you tell us just a little bit about how these new technologies could, uh, misdirect an observer?
4: Sure. I mean, you know, we're, um... We're currently looking at, I mean, you know, forget forget just projections, right? Like projecting onto a screen, although those are interesting. And, you know, if you think about the kind of computing power we have, um, and also if you just think about what, you know, camouflage doesn't have to be really accurate for it to be effective. Mm-hmm. Just think about, you know, a guy like in a ghillie suit, um, you know... If you just see a guy, and not a ghillie suit necessarily, because that's like the whole you know Momo outfit with the with the, <laughs> the grass on the head and whatever. But you know, um, but just think about like camouflage, right? Like like camouflage you wear, um, you know, you buy at Walmart or you buy at Target or wherever. Um, that camouflage is actually effective out in the field if you're in a forest and it's, you know, that pattern of colors like that, you never see in nature. That That's not what anything looks like, yet it is very effective at camouflaging because your brain fills in patterns again, right? So if it just looks close enough, you're, you're fine. So, you can think, if all you have to do is appear to be, um, dark, right? Like, darker than the ground, or if all you have to do is appear to be stars in a sky, or part of a cloud, or whatever, that's not all that hard, you know? Um, And especially if you're able to do it in a way that's silent or or relatively quiet, most people probably would never even think to look up to see that there was something there. So, um, you know, the brain is, again, really good at filling in those patterns, so it's not hard to think that stuff like that could happen but also if you look at like vanta so vanta black i can't remember if it's vanta or vanta do you guys know what that is i think it's vanta i've always said vanta okay yeah so yeah. vertically so yeah vertically aligned nanotubes right uh, nanotube arrays um they are like the darkest the darkest uh surface in nature that we can create so far um Just spraying something like that, like a very, very dark pigment or something that can, you know, obfuscate light in a way that that not a lot of light transfers back to your eye. That can also just be very effective for nighttime camouflage, because, again, all you have to do is get close enough that the brain fills in the gaps. Um, You know, so visually, I don't think it's all that hard. The hardest part, I think, would be the, in terms of the silence or the, the noise, right? All those other senses would be hard to trick. But
2: uh-huh. even those, not that hard. Right. Well, let's go ahead and talk about that since you brought it up. Um, if you had uh, an aircraft, like a jet engine, I uh, I just moved from southern Idaho. They were talking about bringing the F-35 to Boise, and everyone was all against it around there because of the noise. Um but these craft aren't necessarily powered by jet engines. They could be drones. They could be helicopters. Um, what kind of technology would we use to uh, silence an aircraft?
4: I mean, you know, the noise, most of the noise you hear from jet Engines or these kind of planes like this is from the sonic boom itself, right? The sonic boom and then the propagation uh-huh. of that sonic boom. So if you can disrupt the sonic boom from forming, or or maybe not forming necessarily, if you can disrupt that wave from propagating in some way, then in theory you could create a very um, a relatively noiseless aircraft. Uh-huh. At the same time, if you're flying very far away, you're not going to hear it. <laughs> you know what I mean like it's just not going to yeah. transmit to the ground um so in some cases like it may not matter if you're just high enough up off the ground then you know who cares just don't don't fly um don't reach those speeds near someone else or don't um you know I don't know there's there's ways to kind of mitigate that but you know I I can say that there are a lot of um a lot of research goes into this idea of making those systems more quiet and more available for say commercial use not just for you know not just for um, military applications but like you know normal companies are on this as well Um, you know no one wants to live near an airport because they're noisy Um, you know so if we can if we can lessen the noise of something like that um, for aircraft even then that's a big, a big deal. But like you said, it doesn't even have to be an aircraft. It could be a drone. It could be, um, you know, something else that is not powered in a way where, you know, like the sonic boom in theory would happen regardless if depending on the shape of the craft and the way that the noise propagates and whatever. Um, So it's more about designing the kind of uh, designing the ship itself or the craft itself to be able to lessen those waves from propagating um, to stop sonic waves from occurring.
2: Really cool, and uh, you know, a uh, craft design like that would be outside of people's uh, frame of reference. They've seen regular airplanes, but something with a new design, new technology could probably easily be mistaken for alien craft.
4: Maybe, yeah, you know. So I'm, I'm actually, it's funny. I just, I just googled it because I just was. Now I'm kind of interested in seeing more of what's out there. So, this here is a paper from, um, well, maybe that's not such a good paper, but this is from NASA, right? So, new supersonic technology designed to reduce sonic booms. So, uh, this was from 2017, right? So, I mean, and they've been working on this for some time. Um, we've, we've known of them working on this for some time. Um, but basically, what they're working on here is a, uh, a shift that. A ship that, again, mitigates those waves from kind of propagating off the wingtip or off the body of the plane, I should say. Not really the wingtip necessarily, but off the body of the plane. And, yeah, they're much – they're not what you would expect a a normal aircraft to look like. You know, I mean, they're close. They're kind of like a normal aircraft. But this one I'm looking at now looks very long and thin and kind of weird, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, So, yeah.
2: Yeah, really cool. Um, So, I guess really – now the only thing to talk about at Skinwalker is some of that really weird stuff. Um, Underground noises, all kinds of stuff like that. Um, Could it be possible for a bunch of people to work underground at this facility um, and not be noticed? I mean, it seems a little far-fetched to me.
4: I mean, I guess, but like, so, the problem with all of this is that you know to have a to have a a population of workers doing work like that that is taxing on the environment it would require a tremendous amount of goods and services that the area around Skinwalker Ranch is just simply not prepared to provide you know i mean it's kind of like you know imagine if I mean, I don't know, if a Walmart opened up in the town that Skinwalker Ranch is in, it would be a huge deal. It would completely change the economy and the way people's lives operated, you know? So to think that, like, unless these are government workers who have, I don't know, signed on a fat for a fat check and a bonus or something to live underground and never make a peep and never, you know, come out and go to the town and get pizza or whatever, like... You know, it it would take a um, the amount of the amount of work it would take to do that, as opposed to the government just saying, hey, guess what? We're taking this land for a public works project and or, you know, selling it to Lockheed Martin or we're selling it to, you know, um, we're selling it to some senators drilling company and then using it for like there's you know, why would they keep it a ranch? That doesn't make any (laughs) damn sense. Like, you know, the government the government has such more like people are so limited in what they think of evil and what evil can do. Um and I and frankly, I would consider um something like this, you know, the weird study of human subjects or whatever the hell is going on in this ranch. If any of those things are true, it is it is evil. You know what I mean? It's not a good thing for the government to be doing. Um But people are so like I don't know, sometimes it's cute how Megalom, you know, megalomaniacal people think evil has to be for it to be evil. You know what I mean? Like, right. evil is, evil is usually stupid and
2: very simple,
4: and it's pretty in your face. You know, <laughs> yeah. um, um,
2: I've I've have a great line that I learned. Um, it was something like, "Never attribute, uh, especially government actions." Uh, to malice, if they can explain be explained by incompetence, hundred
5: <laughs> percent,
4: absolutely, right. And that's that's like the that's the history of the UFO field. Is people are like, well, why did they find anything? It must be because there's a secret. And it's like, no, they didn't find anything because they're morons, right? <laughs> right? Like they didn't they didn't find anything because it's you know a group of of uh, a group of people of retirees spending <laughs> their government checks on beer and, you know, wrestling magazines while they hang out in the desert all chilling with each other. You know what I mean? Like, there's nothing, um, I don't know, like, we... The same people who think that the government is, like, not capable of running anything also tend to be, at least in my, you know, kind of opinion, I guess, or my experience in the conspiracy and, you know, weird world of anti-science or whatever... Also, tend to, the pe- tend to be the people that think that the government can run massive secret conspiracies with lizard right. people. Right. Like, if the government can't run, if the government can't run a post office, the government cannot, you know, run a secret base on the moon. First of all, Chris, um, that's right. that's my hot take. First
3: of all, Chris, we all know that they don't run a secret base on the moon. They run a secret base under Dulce. Um, which right, actually has a train connecting it to Skinwalker Ranch and several other spots around the U.S. Oh my god! Right, I'm right. I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. It's the Nazis okay. have the
4: moon, right? Is that the what Nazis, Nazis have yeah, yeah, exactly. the moon? Yeah, that's exactly. Hitler's on the moon with the gray and They've aliens got an, an
1: escalator to the Hollow oh. Earth.
2: <laughs> yes, there we go. So it goes. Okay. All right. Only two more questions, and we'll wrap it up. Uh, and I want to bring David back on this one um, because I was wondering if any of this particular phenomena exists out at uh Ansel borrego cattle mutilations why how what the heck uh David is there any has there been any reports of that going on out uh where you're researching
1: well you know there there hasn't cuz it's not really good cattle land out there um oh it's it's the desert yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's not not the best not getting a lot of meat off those it's those just, girls. It's just, just just cows sinking into the clay. It's just, oh my god! I can't.
4: Oh, another alien got my cattle. Oh my god! I can't believe it. The clay monsters have come That's back. That's Right? Yeah. That's somebody it's called just, Batman. <laughs> cattle bones everywhere. Um, well, Jesus. maybe
2: uh, maybe like a jackrabbit mutilation. Well, you I know, guess?
1: <laughs> uh, Borrego actually translates to sheep uh, from Spanish, so. There are some, um, I think, wild sheep or have been in that area. Uh, I don't, I don't think I've heard any stories of them being effed up at all. Um, mainly, it's just people seeing weird stuff. Now, some people will say the the rocks, the boulders, things like that, come alive some nights and go shambling across the desert ridges and stuff. But uh, as far as mutilations, I haven't haven't gotten uh, that one unturned. Uh, stone yet
4: <laughs> <laughs> the settlers used to ride these babies for miles <laughs> Just, sw- oh my god every day spongebob becomes more and more like real life <laughs> good god good god oh um, so
2: so yeah chris i mean lots of reports of cattle mutilations out at skinwalker it's one of the really common stories of uh UFO phenomenon. And I was just wondering like they always say in these necropsies like oh it must have been cut, but I've seen coyotes do some pretty precise cutting. I don't know. What do you think?
4: Well, so, yeah, I mean the the problem with the cattle mutilation is okay. The Skinwalker story is itself a a complete um I hesitate to say that it's a complete fabrication
1: because it's kind because of co-opted.
4: Yeah, because, like, mm-hmm. it, there is, there there appear to be, and again, even this is, like, not really all that well documented or known. There appears to be something of a kind of, like, like a boogeyman creature in native, you know, First Nations people's cultures that would be akin to what we call the Skinwalker, right? Mm-hmm. Like, in today's parlance or whatever. Sure. Um, that being said, it's not... Like, the ranch itself, the story of the ranch starts with um, Robert Bigelow, George Knapp, and Linda Moulton Howe. They're kind of the people that really begin... And and they're, they're like, the... They're almost, in a weird way, like a cornerstone of modern UFO mythology. Mm -hmm. Um, And Linda Moulton Howe is the person who famously investigated and did documentaries on cattle mutilation. Now, it turns out that a guy named Rick Doty um, who claims to have been paid by the government to trick Linda Moulton Howe, um, into thinking cattle mutilations were a thing um, exists, that guy's out there, right? Ooh. So we either have to believe that she's been tricked, which you know, who knows or we have to believe that aliens are coming down here and stealing our cows' organs <laughs> as opposed to just taking like you know, one of them, and then cloning that cow forever. Right? Or like, how about like what we you know with
1: animals? How with about animals. traveling interstellar, um, tra you know, distances? But then they can't fabricate a kidney or tongue. What are they? Right? Are they like,
4: eating? It's, it? Yeah, what it's a truly, yeah, it's a it's a truly insane story. You know. Well,
2: there's there's nothing like a fresh cut steak. <laughs> yeah, gotten down and he's like, "Oh my god, I've never <laughs> these replicator steaks.
1: Oh my god, to <laughs> eat enough
5: wood. Yeah. Terrible,
4: Oh terrible. <laughs> Nothing like Nothing like grass fed <laughs> or dirt fed. I guess sand. Uh, the land isn't great. Um, sand fed. Um, so, so, so that's the problem with this, right? That story is in itself like mired in all of this controversy and un- uncertainty and everything else. And then the team that made it famous is or the thing that made it famous was um, Robert Bigelow had this team, NIDS, that was doing this secret work on a ranch someplace, and word started leaking because it's the UFO world and no one can keep their mouths shut about anything. Um, and so eventually then, Colm Kelleher and George Knapp published this book, Hunt for the Skinwalker, um, and they're both, like, on the NIDS team. So all the information we had, like, none, there has been no independent verification or independent study of Skinwalker Ranch at all. You know what I mean? This is one team coming out and saying that something interesting is happening on this ranch. That's Mm -hmm. it. That's it. And then now, a new guy who purchased the ranch from Bigelow when Bigelow was done with it because there was nothing there, um, and uh, has since, like, tried to turn it into a spooky media empire kind of thing. You know? Mm -hmm. Um, Like, spooky tourism or whatever. So, um... You know, everything we... It's, you know, it's... Everything we have about this area is... Is PR. Is media. Is, is marketing. Um, you know, all the stuff previously to that, like the UNTA UFO flap and all those other things, those kind of exist, in my mind, in like a previous era of... Um... Untainted media... Or untainted... Basin news. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um... And that's why I actually do think that this Borrego, the Borrego Triangle stuff, is so exciting. Again, because you know it's, it's untainted. Um, it's untainted, yeah. Frankly, it's untainted. So, yeah, I cannot wait. You know, at least it's at least it's our side doing the tainting. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's right. um, it's our side mucking stuff up. <laughs>
0: Oh, uh, yes. But, nice. but it
4: really, though, it, like Skinwalker Ranch is the UFO world's version of the Oak Island money pit. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's so many. Every time someone tries to go and do something there, they mess it up further. They make it more confusing. And it'll, ne- you know, at this point now, the truth doesn't it, like the truth doesn't even matter at, in my mind. Because um, no one cares. It, let's put it this way. If Bigelow Aerospace had found something interesting on Skinwalker Ranch, they would have done something with it.
2: They right. did. Something worthwhile, yeah. They um, did. And that was really one of the things that led me to uh, kind of my conclusions about how this is some kind of misinformation operation. Um, and one thing that you see is you know, you have Bigelow Aerospace, you have ATIP. You have a guy like Tom DeLonge who's meeting with people from Lockheed's Skunk Works. Um, We only have a few minutes, but can we get a hot take, Chris? Uh, What's going on between the aerospace industry and these UFO types?
4: So, I mean, a lot of the the aerospace industry is made up of people who are interested in this stuff. It always has been. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. There's really nothing else to it. I mean... um...
2: Guys who watched Star Trek and wanted to be out there.
4: Exactly, exactly. You know, stuff guys. Guys, frankly, like us all, right? Truth, um, sure. People who grew up watching this stuff and were like, "Hell yeah!" Like, I would love if aliens were real. Yeah, you know, give me this, one of them replicated cool. steaks. Yeah, right. Like, give <laughs> yeah. me a replicated steak. Awesome. <laughs> you know. Um. So the fact that they're interested in this isn't really that far out. And on top of that, too, the military has a really. The U.S. military in particular has a really long history of funding crazy stuff, frankly, and Mm. seeing if it works. And a lot of the time it doesn't. And that's why a big part of this for me, like every time I do any kind of show or take on these things, for me, the story of ATIP, the story of Skinwalker Ranch, the story of all of this, like I said before, is a story of government corruption and government being conned. You know, what I mean, it's it's a it's the one of the most successful um, successful is the wrong word because it really hasn't been successful. But it's one of the most I think it's the one of the most interesting parts or aspects of modern science are kind of these characters who exist on the fringes of science mm-hmm. who are like kind of respectable but kind of conning and kind you know it's it's a weird it's a weird. Uh, It's a weird position some of these people are in. And the ATIP stuff and Bass and, you know, um, OSAP and these programs that that were funded by the government to do these studies, they kind of exist in a weird gray area. Because on the one hand, you had people doing research into things like um, active camouflage, right? Mm -hmm. Um, You had people doing work in active camouflage. And it appears, at least, we don't know but it appears that they at least got a small part of the funding to do theoretical physics papers on that kind of work. On the other hand, though, you had people writing papers on like Stargates and, you know, uh, stuff that would never pass peer review in a serious scientific journal. Mm -hmm. So it's weird. It's very strange. Um, And, and and frankly, the team, the team that helped work on Skinwalker for the government, or as part of the NIDS team, was made up of people who were part of the government's famous Men Who Stare at Goats experiments, um, and remote viewing experiments, and Scientology experiments in the 60s. So, you know, this it's it's not exactly like these are, you know, why, like, Steve Justice would get involved in this is anybody's guess, but I think, frankly, that he was probably involved in NIDS when it occurred, Um, and has just kind of stayed on right? He, I mean Bigelow is a fascinating character I think and somebody who is self-made and has done a lot of legitimately cool stuff so I could totally see working for a guy like Bigelow Um, what I can't see is a guy like Bigelow or what I can't understand is a guy like Bigelow allowing so much untapped or just wasted money to occur like wasted resources like why keep funding something over and over again
2: Without work. without tangible results. Mm-hmm.
4: And without anything, yeah, without yeah. any kind of tangible results. Even if he was just getting out of it, like, you know, he, ne- he never looked for, like, press on this stuff. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like, that's why people think that there's probably some kind of personal reason that he wants to find this stuff, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe there is. Maybe he's just, you know, a cool billionaire who decided to spend his money in a way that, you know, helped launch a million podcasts, <laughs>
3: um, right. I don't know. thank you Mr. Very Bigelow
2: awesome. well <laughs> yeah yeah. well let's uh, take a quick break to pay the bills and then we'll wrap everything up and uh, say bye bye
6: hello this is Michael from Pennyhaven What is Pennyhaven, you ask? Well, Pennyhaven is my YouTube channel. On this channel, I share with the viewer some awesome coins from my collection and the new ones I pick up every week. I also have a bunch of informative videos that show you what to look for in your own pocket so you can realize the worth above face value in circulated money. I'll teach you how you can get silver coins for free or at face value. I'll even tell you how you can get a free piece of gold in the mail. Absolutely free and beautiful. So come on over, subscribe, watch my playlist of informational videos or anything that catches your eye. Send me an email to find out how to get some free gold and start getting the most out of your money. So please, go to YouTube.com and search for Penny Haven. That's P-E-N-N-Y-H-A-V-E-N on YouTube.
2: all right and we're back uh, we have been here with david flora and chris cogswell we've been talking skinwalker ranch all kinds of cool stuff um this has been a great little debate i think uh david i know you're getting ready to head out uh can you wrap us up with any of your final hot takes if you got any and uh let our listeners know where they can find you
1: uh sure well thanks again for having me uh it's been fun Uh, talking about this weird wild stuff and uh, I don't like Skinwalker Ranch is still one of those um, weird areas that I have kind of osmosed my knowledge uh, from because I haven't looked into it specifically but it gets talked about so much that you know you you kind of feel like you know uh, quite a bit about it just from hearing stuff and I think I think Chris made a one of the best points um, in his last segment about how the world had never really heard about this place until this, you know, little team of investigators got in there and then started promoting it. So, I, I think there is something to be said uh, about that, and you have to be careful with uh, intentions and um, what people are, what what they're trying to do with this information um, for their own ends and means. So, those are my uh, kind of final thoughts on it. And uh, for blurry photos, if you guys want to hear more uh, deep dives into this these topics and this type of stuff please visit my website blurryphotos.org i'm on all the major uh, podcasting platforms and um, just go in there dive in if you go if you go too far back i've been doing the show for 8 years now if you go too far back you're going to run into another voice on there which was a, a co-host i used to have but for the past couple of years i've been flying solo and um, yeah it's it's a fun time and um lee drove all the way, uh, from Tennessee to, to see a live show of it. So if you, if you need any, if you need any better, um, proof that it's a a worthwhile show, I don't think you can find it.
3: (laughs) I absolutely love your show. Even though you just switched teams on me right there and said the
2: (laughs) job. No, I I do. I I really do love
3: your show. So
1: (laughs) yeah, it's, it's hard to, it's hard to betray the old, uh, uh, scientific and skeptical background.
3: <laughs> I know, I know. There's a there's a re- there's a reason
4: we're all friends. That's right. Let's say it, let's put that without right? right. and they, yeah, you weren't you weren't exactly given the easiest hand to our <laughs> fandom. So, I we you know, we understand. We understand.
2: <laughs> Fair enough. Well, uh we know we know David definitely has Lee's endorsement. Uh Chris, uh we've gone off pretty well on on our side. I think I think we're I think we're winners, but that's just me. Um, I'm biased. Um, but um, can Listen, you tell I, come away, I,
5: I
4: come away from every argument I'm in thinking I won, so it's totally fine. It's, it's a defense mechanism, completely irrelevant to me whether or not the facts speak that way. Yeah, it's just a, it's an defense mechanism. Yeah.
2: Really cool. Um, well, can you tell the people um, any any last takes that you have, and where they can find you?
4: Yeah, I mean, you know, this—the history of this stuff, the history of Skinwalker Ranch is a lot deeper than we've been able to get into here, and frankly, it's a lot deeper than I think any one podcast can cover. You know, it's—it's um, it, it, it's just a crazy story, and
2: it's—that's why we it's, jumped on it so we could get a little bit of your thunder.
4: <laughs> well, you know, but no, but like seriously though, it's—it's it's, um. It's a story, I think, that I, I personally have never gotten tired of hearing other people's takes on it, because there's so much out there, and stuff keeps coming out. You know, t- yesterday, new documents were released talking about the, f- the way that the funding flowed down from Bass, uh, Bigelow Aerospace, potentially down to UFO groups. So, uh, you know, people are now asking, like, well, was the government actually funding a UFO research group? That's crazy, you know? Um... That, you know, this is a, for me, the most interesting thing about all this isn't whether or not UFOs are real or whether or not the sightings are real or if any of these stories are true or not, right? Like I said, um, reality is confusing and we don't, we, we, we can't, it's hard enough to figure out, you know, truth on simple things, let alone things like this that are um, cosmic in their proportions, so for me, the most interesting thing or the most useful thing we can do is just kind of study the mythology itself in the folklore. So, and that's what we do on our show. So my show is called The Mad Scientist Podcast. I host it with my co-host, Maureen Mayhew. Um, we release every week, um, or we try to release every week, what with uh, the world ending. And, um, and yeah, you can find us everywhere. Just search The Mad Scientist Podcast. Our logo is the one with the jack-o'-lantern
2: heads. Um, so it's easy to find. Mm hmm. Really cool. Well, thank you, gentlemen, very much. Lee, give us an outro. There you
3: have it, guys. That's it for our little uh, mini debate between interdimensional uh, experiences and government experimentation. Please, guys, come back. Listen to us again somewhere out there beyond terrestrial. <laughs> thank you for listening to beyond terrestrial podcast you can check us out on apple pod Google Play, and other major podcast platforms.
2: And if you want to keep up with the show goings on, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at beyond T Pod. That's beyond the letter T, pod.
3: And as always, you can get all of that information as well as show notes and episodes as they come out on beyondterrestrial.com.
2: That's right, we got the dot com. And if you want to help out the show, give us five stars on Apple Podcasts, or a like and a review wherever you listen to Beyond Terrestrial.
5: You've been listening to a fourth-hand joint.